In the reading corner today, I'm very excited to be talking to Simon James Green. We're going to be talking about his most recent book, um, which is Sleepover Takeover. It's uh, what might be called a middle grade humorous story uh, about friendship and school with a mystery at the heart of it as well, which includes hypnotism. I'm hoping we're going to be able to talk about that a little bit too. So first task first is to give Simon a great big welcome. It's the first time you've been in the reading corner. It is. And it's so lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Nikki. It's great. <laughs> so Sleepover Takeover, it starts out uh, as a story between two very close friends. At the end of primary school they're in year six and this Mm. will turn out to be quite important they're called Otis and Jagger can you tell us a little bit about these two characters in all my books I love an underdog and Otis and Jagger really are both underdogs um Otis is a kind of he's a quiet sort of kid he doesn't have really any friends apart from Jagger. Jagger is his main friend. But you know what? Otis is totally fine with that. Him and Jagger are a tight unit and they, you know, keep their heads down and get through life at school together. Um, Jagger, on the other hand, is a bit of a trickster. He loves a practical joke. And for that reason, he's not remotely popular with all the other classmates because he's always pranking them in various ways. So the two of them are, are, are kind of totally by themselves. And never really invited to any of the cool parties or anything like that. But, you know, like I said, they are, they are both fine with that. They do their thing and they're happy as they are. <laughs> yeah. It says at the beginning, two dorks who had each other. And that's yeah. exactly, that sums up where we start, uh, it doesn't does. it? It really does. As you say, they're not invited to the cool parties. And there's a boy in their class who who is beyond cool actually oh isn't he just Rocco Rococo is his name he's beyond cool he's he's incredibly wealthy from a really rich family and known for having legendary birthday parties everything you could imagine previous years he's taken all his classmates to Disneyland he's got them the best seats for the Lion King in the West End with a with a meeting the cast afterwards and pop stars singing at his birthday party and all sorts of stuff and this year it's supposed to be his best birthday yet this is his 11th birthday so it's a big one for Rocco and his parents have set up a huge marquee in the grounds of his multi-million pound home. And it's got everything in it you could ever imagine. There's kind of all types of food, you know, hot dogs, fish and chips, sushi, pick and mix, chocolate fountain, loads of entertainment, um, singers, magicians, stilt walkers, a 10-pin bowling alley. You know, it's basically a kid's dream. There's even a fairground outside as well. So it's really the most amazing thing. But... Otis and Jagger aren't invited, Mm. or at least not at the beginning of the book. (laughs) There are a couple of things that I wanted to pick up here. One is to do with, you know, we kind of know that these situations happen, but because it's so extreme, he's so rich and it's so over the top, it doesn't really point fingers at children that are in real classrooms. It sort of takes it away from that and gives it a fantasy edge. Yeah, I was, I'm always very keen not to uh, not to sort of make any particular characters out to be sort of typical villains or in the wrong or anything like that. You know, I think that's very important because obviously you have you have children in classrooms from all sorts of different economic backgrounds and and sort of different levels of privilege within that and access to to money and that sort of thing. And I, you know, I didn't want to be saying 
kids who are like that are automatically bad people or mm. wrong or deliberately excluding anyone. So, yeah, definitely taking it to that extreme edge to just take it away from anybody recognising themselves too much, maybe, within that, yeah. But there's a serious side here, and that is that all of the class are invited except for two children. Mm. And this actually is a situation that I've come across in reality. And when you invite such big numbers, most of your class except for two, this is such a cruel thing. Isn't it? It's a horrible thing. And I really wanted... Otis and Jagger to start off feeling very much like they were outsiders, like they were left out, you know, and and, and Rocco has his reasons for not inviting them. As far as he's concerned, they're two jokers who are total dorks, like we said, and not worth the time of day. He doesn't think they've got anything to offer or would be good guests at his party. And as far as Otis and Jagger are concerned, they don't want anything to do with Rocco either. You know, they see him as aloof and standoffish and not the sort of person they would want to hang out with. So there's no love lost between the two at at the start of the book. Now, I think we have to talk about another group of characters to understand what happens next. And this is the three Chloe's. (laughs) Tell us about them. Well, the three Chloe's are well known to Otis and Jagger. They are three fearsome girls in year six who all um, sort of dress the same, basically, in the same kind of pinafore dresses and have the same look. And they kind of, they, they basically rule year six. They're sort of in charge. Although technically they're hangers-on of Rocco, it's really the Chloe's who rule the roost and decide who gets invited to what, who's, who's considered popular, um, and that type of thing. So Otis and Jagger are quite scared of the Chloe's. And also, you know, they don't like them at all. You know, they see them as being really quite horrible, a horrible group of, of girls who they don't like. Yes, I can almost hear their heels clicking down the corridor <laughs> <laughs> in the school. Now, our enticing moment, if you like, um, comes when they do get an invite to Rocco's 11th birthday party. And that's why the Chloe's are important, because they're the ones that issue Mm. the invitation. Otis isn't that keen on going, is he? Yeah, he's got a whole weekend plan with Jagger, where basically they're going to see how many laughing cow cheese triangles they can fit into their mouths before being sick. And as far as Otis is concerned, that would be a good night out doesn't need to go to Rocco's birthday party. Goodness me, no. And actually, he's very suspicious of this invite. Why have they been invited? Is it all a trick? Have, you know, Rocco and the Chloe's got something nasty planned for their own amusement? Is that why they've been invited? So Otis is very on his guard about it. Jagger is a bit more relaxed about the whole thing. He sees a great opportunity here. It's going to be a fab party, massive chocolate fountain. Let's go, he thinks. Um, Mm. And he convinces Otis in the end that actually this is going to be a really good idea. And I have to say one of my favourite moments or a favourite moment from the book um, is when Jagger turns up to pick Otis up to go to the party and he's kind of dressed and it puts me in mind of your picture book, Llama Glamorama. Llama Glamorama. <laughs> yeah, Llama Glamorama. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it's so flamboyant. I mean. Yes, so flamboyant. Jagger is there. He's got he's got bright silver shorts on, a kind of sequined silver top, and this huge plume of feathers coming out from his back. That's how Jagger's going to the party. Looking spectacular as far as he's concerned. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he is uh, so comfortable with himself uh I know that when he arrives 
Uh, he's told this isn't fancy dress. And he says, yeah. I'm not in fancy dress. Not in fancy dress. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I love about Jagger. He is totally comfortable with who he is and is quite happy dressing in a flamboyant way, putting on makeup. He puts makeup on Otis as well to, you know, enhance his appearance a little bit. And one thing I was really keen in this book to do was just to have some portrayals of of boys, which was kind of non-stereotypical. I thought that was really important. And they do have a very close friendship. Is it a friendship that sort of borders on being a crush, do you think? Yeah, I think I think there are elements of that. I mean, you know, with my books for older teenagers, my YA books, uh, they all do feature very explicitly LGBT characters, you know. Um, I haven't really done that with a middle grade because my experience of being that age was very much it was a time of, you know, really not knowing about anything, not even being confused about it, just really not even factoring in my world, actually. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I do think sometimes around about that age, sort of 11, 10, 11, 12, you know, you can sometimes have the beginning of very intense friendships, um, which is because of same sex. And it's not to say they'll necessarily develop into anything more when they're older, perhaps, or not. But also they could do, you know. And so I suppose for me, that kind of age is very much the beginning of just of just very tentatively beginning to explore what those types of relationships were like, I guess, and what they could be, and and very beginning to sort of generally work out my sort of feelings, I suppose. So I try and do that with the characters a little bit as well, yeah. Felt really authentic, uh, and it just felt really right the way that you dealt with that. Oh, I know, I'm glad, because it's really important to me, I think, exploring particularly male friendship is something that I really wanted to do in this book and and the different ways it could go. And just the idea that actually, you know, it's okay for boys to be affectionate with one another. It's okay for boys to cry in front of one another. It's okay to comfort a boy and put your arm around him and tell him it will be okay. You know, and I think it's around about this sort of age, that move from primary into secondary, where sometimes boys especially start to think, you know, I, I've got to be more of a man now. I can't, I can't be so open with my feelings. I can't cry. I can't say how I really feel. And I think that's really damaging, um, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. for boys especially. Um, and so I wanted to show that actually, you know, you can do that. It's fine to do that. And it's normal to do that. And you should do that. Mm-hmm. Let's get back to the story because. What happens at Rocco's party? This is where the main comedy is, if you like, actually at this party. Uh, Tell us a little bit about it in your words. Uh, Well, what happens is that Jagger reveals a bit of a bombshell to Otis because he tells Otis that actually he's not going to be going to the same secondary school in September as him. And this sends Otis into a complete tailspin because Jagger is his only friend. And this means he's going to go into year seven in September completely and utterly alone. So Otis basically seeks solace in chocolate and sweets and crams his face full of pick and mix and ends up basically diving into the chocolate fountain, getting as much sugar inside him as he can just just to try and calm himself down a little bit. The last moment we see at the party is is Otis just dancing crazily, completely off his head, basically on a sugar high. And that's kind of how we leave it at at the party. Can you read us a bit? (laughs) Yeah, I certainly can. I can read you a little bit of that right now. So this is this is just after he's been given this bombshell from Jagger and he's at the chocolate fountain. So Jagger's trying to entice him away. Come and play sardines, Jagger said. Go. I waved him away, 
accidentally flicking him with chocolate. Maybe I'll make some friends right here and I'll mm, chocolate later and we'll and just going to have another slurp of this and then maybe some more. Okay, Jagger said, but come and play in a few minutes and uh, go easy on the chocolate. I think he may have looked at me, waiting for my answer perhaps, but I was gurgling like a baby as I drizzled molten chocolate straight down my throat from the cup. I'm not sure if I believe in heaven, but I think if there is such a place, it will be like having your entire head inside a chocolate fountain. And the next thing I knew, I was being hauled away from my precious fountain because apparently it's not acceptable to strip down to your boxers and attempt to swim in said fountain. But I've bought spare pants, I shouted to the assembled crowd as Tiana, the greatest of all time, major year six celeb, dragged me off. You've had too much sugar, mate, Tiana told me as she bundled me back into my clothes and wiped my face with a napkin. I looked up at her. So tall. I have had nowhere near enough. Barely a teaspoon of sugar has passed these lips, I said, craning my neck up. Let's dance. Shall we dance? And I ran off to the dance floor where the DJ was dropping some funky beats. Yeah, beats with a Z, because that's how funky they were. Mounted a podium. Did my famous crocodile peacock charging bull dance. Snap, snap. Shake your tail feathers. Horn, horn. Paw the ground. Charging bull. Combo of amazing dance move plus flames disco shirt equals cheering from crowd. What is he doing? Someone said, their voice full of admiration, I'm sure. Do we need to call an ambulance? <laughs> I was just fine. More than fine. The lights, the music. I was alive. I was buzzing. I was 90% chocolate. And that is a very amazing thing to be. There would be a waiting list of people wanting to be my friend by the end of this night. As I threw myself off the podium to crowd surf back towards the chocolate fountain, I knew the truth, that I was epic. <laughs> and I needed more sugar. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And Tiana, I mean, she turns out to be on, on his side. Mm. She absolutely does. She's one of a number of characters who Otis was wrong about right from the start. He assumes Tiana, she's, she's a great sportswoman. You know, she's great at everything at school. He assumes she would want nothing to do with someone as disastrous as him. And he couldn't be more wrong. Mm. It's kind of a bit about being brave. I'm just going to uh, read uh, a line from the end of the book about finding your tribe, basically, and that they're all there hiding in plain sight. You've got to be brave enough if you're going to find them. Absolutely. You've got to be brave enough to, to be yourself and be the person that you really are, not, not hide yourself uh, and pretend to be something you're not. And that's something, that's a journey that, that Rocco in particular goes on in this book. You know, he starts off trying to be the big I am and be impressive. By the end of the book, it's revealed he's actually just as dorky as Otis is. And he was just too scared to show that before, particularly in front of the Chloe's. And absolutely. Uh, so brave enough to be yourself, but brave enough to, yeah, to, to talk to other people and to give them the chance to for them to show you who they really are. That's really important. And Otis and Jagger make assumptions about people at the start of this book, just as much as all the other characters do about, about them too. And it turns out everyone is wrong about each other. 
I want to talk a little bit, although the teacher, Mr. Banerjee, doesn't, the head teacher, he doesn't feature that strongly in the book beyond the beginning. Um, he's actually taking the class because their regular class teacher's gone off to get mm. married. And he's ex-army. Yeah. And it's all about a survival training. I absolutely loved him. I'd, I'd have loved to have been in his class. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I get, I'm guessing he's not everybody's cup of tea. <laughs> well, he's certainly, yeah, I think um, I think certainly Otis and Jagger are a little bit sick of his survival lessons. I think whenever he takes them for a class, he always, he's always about, right, you know, kids, what's going to happen if an asteroid strikes Earth? How are we going to survive? And he gets them to design concrete bunkers underground and then you know work out what to do if there's no electricity or no water and that kind of thing and gets them to um to work it all out basically so um, which I guess is fine for the odd lesson but Mm. but not every time but I suppose one of the things that I appreciated about him is that he has real commitment to what he's doing Mm. and you get the feeling that he is absolutely true to himself you can be all sorts of things as a teacher but it always strikes me that the ones that I connected with most were absolutely themselves they didn't try to overly please the class they were who they were absolutely and that was another important you know going back to that theme about about people being brave enough to be themselves and just you know wear their dorkishness if you like on their sleeves that's exactly what Mr Banerjee does at the very beginning book in in the first chapter you know he absolutely like you say is what he is unashamedly so and he enjoys his sort of army background and his disaster simulations that he does with the kids that's who he is and I think as a result he's a great character and and it turns out quite useful to them in many ways later Mm. on in the book without giving any spoilers but um Mm. but who knew that some of his advice would turn out to be handy absolutely (laughs) I will just mention this and ask a couple of aspects of the story that we haven't touched on and maybe we just mention them lightly one is that at the party where there is this big fairground there is something to do with hypnotism mm. and stage hypnotism. It's, a, it's something I'm fascinated by and have been for a long time because actually I was I was hypnotised on stage at a university ball when I was 19 or 20. So I have had it done to me. And it's a very interesting, I think psychologically, it's a very interesting process, stage hypnotism, certainly, because that isn't real and does rely on uh, a certain amount of showmanship from the volunteers and very cleverly getting rid of the people who aren't going to play ball and sticking with the ones who are prepared to give it a go and have a good time essentially but I think it's fascinating what makes people engage with that and go through with it and start doing random things you know, on the stage. So I did a thing where I'd stand up and shout peanuts at the top of my voice every time a trigger word was said, for example, and someone else would pretend to be a chicken, all that kind of weird and wonderful stuff. So it's great fun. Anyway, there are some trigger words in here as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah is... there certainly are. It's, uh, that causes an extra layer of mayhem, as it turns out that perhaps uh, some of the kids haven't entirely been dehypnotized halfway through the book um, after after the show the previous night. So that causes quite a few problems uh, yes. for the gang. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to mention that because, you know, we've talked about some of the serious issues that are covered in this book, but it's a very light touch and it is a comedy and I think you know when you when you start to write I'm just interested to know whether it's these issues that you want to address or whether you have an idea for a story 
For me, the the idea always comes first. Uh, so some kind of overall concept. And with Sleepover Takeover, you know, I'd seen films like The Hangover and Dude, Where's My Car? You know, where a group of characters wake up the morning after some kind of big party. It's a scene of chaos. Nobody knows or can remember what exactly has happened. And somehow they've got to put it all right again and work the whole thing out. What happened last night? You know, so it's the same premise as Sleepover Takeover. So that was my my beginning for it. The second thing, though, really is always my default is always going to be comedy. I love funny books. I think laughter is an incredibly important thing. I don't think we do enough of it, generally speaking. Um, And I'm a big fan of funny books when it comes to kids and getting kids reading. I think a lot of children love to read comedy. And I think once you get people laughing, generally you get them on side. And, And kids are exactly the same as that as well, I think. And time and again, you know, Scholastic, my publisher, do quite a lot of research on on what sort of books kids love reading. And it always comes back. They want funny books. They love them, you know. And I'm a great believer in reading for pleasure. And I think if you can if you can hook children with those types of books, then hopefully you'll hook them for life and they'll, you know, gradually explore other genres and other styles as well. I just wanted to end by asking you about the dedication in your book. I can see that you've dedicated it to two teachers and to year five, six classes and I was like, intrigued by that yeah so last year I was it was through an organization called book pen pals and what they do is they link up different teachers and classes around the country with authors and the idea is that the authors will send them two little postcards or letters each term recommending some books basically that they think the kids will enjoy reading and just saying you know why they like it and that kind of thing and the idea is is that the the children will or some of the children will, will read some of the recommended books and will probably write back to the author and say what they think uh give a little review maybe send some of their pictures or drawings they did around the text that type of thing um and that happens each term so it's sort of two two postcards each term backwards and forwards and, and it's a really nice way of linking up authors with pupils and it's all ages from kind of year one to right through to secondary school year year 10 you know so it's it's a real mix of authors and different ages of kids lovely way to engage them in in reading and writing and I think the 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 kids kind of feel they've got their author who's who's sort of theirs and and that that can mean a lot I think to some of those children it's a really nice thing to be part of brilliant yeah any schools that don't know they can look at the book pen pals website and that's where they would sign up and find out sign up for it and brilliant information about it yeah well it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today Simon about sleepover takeover thank you you for sharing your thoughts and giving us a little more insight into the story it's been a pleasure i hope everyone enjoys it in the reading corner is presented by nikki gamble and produced by alison hughes if you have enjoyed this podcast please do leave a review for us to find out about other projects including an audience with events and the exploring children's literature summer school visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.